The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. Finals football is here and your place for the biggest and best rugby finals discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Thanks so much to everyone who got in touch and had their say uh, for last weekend's wonderful chat with former Wallaby scrum half Will Genia. Uh, and you can do the same under the new episode page each week on the Raw. You can hit us up on the socials or please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me this week and every week, a man described on social media last week as a rugby weirdo for which I am his wrangler. It's my co-host, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How's it? How's it? I've been called a lot of things this week. Also, uh, some, a motley nomad. Um, yes. Yes. I will come to that in just a second. But that that's, that social media post was genuinely one of my highlights of the week. Rugby weirdo just describes you perfectly. So... <laughs> So, but Brett, we discovered something this week, and it was yep. it was it's tender and sweet and somewhat sentimental, because we discovered we were both in the same play. Now, not <laughs> mind you, at the same time. No, no, it was a space time continuum. But we were as little children, a little boys, True. boykies in South Africa. We would say, uh, "I was the scarecrow." What were you in the Wizard of Oz? I I was the Tin Man. Yes, true story. And the more I thought about that, that explained everything. <laughs> <laughs> that why you and I are potting together because I'm trying yeah. to discover my frames and yeah. you're trying to discover your heart, yeah. but you actually already have one. It all makes yeah. perfect sense. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Uh, we mentioned last week that we would make mention of any new reviews that we received and mention we will. There's a great lengthy review that I'll come back to later in the pod. But first, this one from Robbie C in Australia who asked us some truly excellent questions uh, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. He said, excellent, but Harry who? Really enjoy the podcast and ask in a genuine manner, Harry who? Harry's clearly very knowledgeable, but has a motley accent that makes identifying his location and background impossible and intriguing. Uh, imagine that's been covered previously, but would love to know where the nomad came from and how he's arrived where he is. A fantastic review. And Henry, Harry, I'm not going to let you answer the question because... We're just going to let the rugby nomad continue. It's also fun. it's also funny that you called me Henry there for a second, did, and we'll get to that in a second. But, but but it is it all started just for this guy asking me a question. It all started on the stage of Wizard of Oz, and I just got on the plane because I wanted to French kiss uh, Sandra and and the Dorothy, and uh, and then I, I learned later that I had to learn a, lot, a bunch of lines, and I didn't yeah. ever get to kiss her. So. Yeah. So on that note, let's get into some finals chat. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Great to have our Melbourne studio in use again. And from there, it's a big welcome onto the Raw Rugby Podcast to former England and British and Irish Lions lock and now Melbourne Rebels forwards coach, Jeff Parling. Jeff, hey, welcome. Lions, Lions, Lions. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. I'm not, um, after listening to that intro about Harry, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm letting myself in for here. <laughs> You've had all week to pull out too, Jeff, but it's, there's no there's no pulling out now. If only I know. <laughs> Now, we, we did mention Henry before on your, on your Zoom session right there. Henry Parling, we see. Yeah, something to do with school, obviously, he's been <laughs> shared resources in the Parling all, house. All, in mind, mate. all for learning, so yeah. all for a good cause. Good, good. I feel, we, I feel we, like uh, Henry, I mean, Jeff, I feel like you're actually better looking now <laughs> than you were when you were a player. Is this possible? Actually, you're quite young still, man. 
Again, very unexpected. What you know? <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll roll with it. We've had Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good luck. So. You cover it all. Yeah, no, you're looking good. Just everything. Yeah. What are your nice, um, what nice. are you, yeah. what what are, what are the plants behind you covering up, Jeff? Uh, um, oh, some um, some architect <laughs> work and some exactly. painting and plaster work that needs doing. I told Obviously, you, I'm doing a good enough job. Uh, we we get into everything here on the podcast. We really do. But we'll start the same place that we start every week. Uh, and what stood out for you from what was a a really fascinating round fifteen, uh, the final round of Super Rugby Pacific. Look, I've got to um, start with our game. Obviously, after after what's been a pretty frustrating season, to be honest, it was mm. good to get the get the win at home and an important win for us. We had some guys that are leaving the organisation. It was important to give them the the right sort of send off. Um, and in those sort of tight games early on in the season, we've been on the, the wrong end of those results. So it was good that we you know just snuck over and especially in that second half played some decent rugby and. Mm. Showed some decent grit and a good mentality to to just edge the game. So. Yeah, tell, tell us about those last five or ten minutes. Was it was it every bit as tense for you and Kevin up there in the coaches' box as it was for us watching on TV? Yeah, look, it was yeah, it was pretty tense. Certainly when Lucas Ripley juggled his try to score, yeah. <laughs> he did have a bit of a laugh there. Um, so that probably relaxed us. But I think every game, mate, every. Every game when um, it's sort of in the balance, and certainly when you've been on the the wrong end of those those games mm. previously, mm. Yeah, there's always a a little edge to um, the feelings, I guess. Yeah. What's what's what was the immediate feeling on full time? Was it was it relief or, or was it more frustration that you hadn't seen that earlier in the year? It was. It wasn't relief. Yeah. It was. Um, the overall frustration for the season, mate, is still disappointment. I'm not going to hide behind that. Definitely still disappointment. We've probably shown in these last four games that we can play some good rugby. We can, we can do some good things, but we're just not consistent enough. If you look mm. in the last four games, we've had a very poor performance against the Blues. We've come back a week later and an excellent performance against the Chiefs. You know, we're four points off against the Chiefs with the last play of the game. Yeah. Then we go to Wellington and we have a poor performance against the Hurricanes. And then we come back and have a, a very good performance against the Highlanders. So we know that I've got some good young kids and uh, when we put it together, we can produce some good performances. But at the moment, for whatever reason, we're just not being mm. not being consistent enough. And look, in this level in Super Rugby, it's it's a short season. If you're not consistent for a few games, suddenly you're out of those finals pictures and you're making everything hard for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I read, read today that you guys have averaged 25 or 26 points a game Basically, since the since the crossover game started, which is a fair lift on on how you were how you'd started the year. So, yeah, as you say, you've been playing some great rugby the last month. Yeah, if you look at them, just some of those tries in that, that like Lucas Ripley's juggling try, the, the build up play. Yeah, that. well, it was great. We've, we've scored some good stuff. We um, know we've probably been pretty inconsistent without the ball at times, um, and there's been times in those, those other games where probably in, in the first half, we probably let a scoreline get away from us quite early. Mm. And look, when you're not, when you're not winning games and you let a scoreline get away from you early on in the game, geez, it's a hard place to come back from. Yeah. You know, it's a hard place mentally to, to get back there. And th- that's where we are at the moment. So like I said, we can play some good stuff, but we've got to be more consistent. We've got to be a, a bit tougher as a squad and, as a team and, and stand up a bit more. Yeah, yeah. That the last play, you, you guys had a, a had a had a had a penalty or had a had a penalty that you could play on for. It certainly looked like Matt 
Toamua wanted to play on. Uh, I'm not the best lip read in the world, but it looked to me like he was saying, let's play, let's maul, let's maul. But it seemed to look like he'd get a message from the sideline. Is that, is that accurate? Is that how it played out? Yeah, if you, if you actually listen to the to the ref, Mike, he was going to kick. We were going to have a wanted to crack as a mall and yeah. give a handsome a screaming screaming at him, just kick it out. But yeah, right. We, mate, we're one point up. We've just won a, we've won a game in what's been a pretty disappointing season. Yeah, uh, we need to we need to take that win. There. Sometimes you need to be pragmatic, don't you, um, Harry? What um, what stood out for you on the weekend? Yeah, I, I suppose it was uh, that the format, which had been much maligned, actually kind of worked because yeah, yeah. a lot a lot more matches mattered that wouldn't have mattered. I mean, you were yeah. affecting the the outcome. The Moana Pacifica was, you know, my highlight just because it was unexpected. Um, yeah. It it absolutely changed the entire playoff uh, picture. It did, and 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 it, it was so joyous together with the Drua scenes of crowds, but. The Moana Pacifica, the players were were really just you know up against it. The captain <laughs> excused on 150th. I mean, it just mm. seemed like it was set up for a crumble and for a demolition. And instead, it turned into one of the best uh, Super Rugby matches I've watched all season. It was it was certainly fitting, um, Jeff, that that you guys, your game, that, that the Rebels Highlanders on Sunday. Which six weeks ago, and I say it with due respect, I don't think anyone would have been looking at that game as being one that was going to be so decisive. But it literally came down to the last play of the last game of the regular season to finalise the finals, and that's—I mean—that's just about ideal in a in a competition, isn't it? Yeah, I think it probably um, the, the competition organisers there would have been happy for the for mm. the structure. Look, in my mind, if you finish in the the bottom half of a of a league, you don't deserve to be in finals. So for yeah. me, anything below the top six, you, you shouldn't be in finals footy. That's I think that that's what it's about, but. It is what it is. That's a competition mm. structure, and um, yeah, certainly made for, for interesting viewing. Yeah, certainly. So Jeff, Jeff, when you were doing your scouting of the Highlanders, did you notice that on their logo, the Highlander has no armpit hair? And I'm asking you this because you're a line art coach, so you probably are interested in what people are doing with their hands up. Have you noticed this or not? <laughs> it's, it's certainly nothing that um, was in our in our preview for the play. <laughs> We'll think about it next season. It's yeah. next season. Yeah. It'll be the first thing you note next mm. next year. You'll you'll have the Highlanders in round one, and you won't be able to concentrate on it because Harry brought this up in the first episode of the uh, of the podcast, Jeff, and it's come up weekly ever since. So uh, <laughs> it's a it's a I, good I think it affects. Season, yeah? I, I think it affects their confidence. I mean, that's what I'm <laughs> modern man, it's a modern man. It could be, it could well be. <laughs> Jeff, I'm, I'm intrigued in your, um, in your in your pathway to coaching. You you landed in Melbourne um, to to play for the Rebels to to finish out your playing days. So, but what what was it about Melbourne and, and coming to Australia that you thought was your your avenue into coaching? I'd say my pathway to coaching started a long time before that. So I feel yeah. that um, in a way when I was playing because I was a pretty poor athlete. Uh, I wasn't good physically. <laughs> um, I had to learn the game and learn how to get the best of those around me. So I do feel like even though I was a player, I've actually been probably coaching in some way for 20 odd years. Mm. Can I just say you're surrounded by poor athletes here, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and then hey, I've always had an interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've always done bits. When I was in England, I'd do bits, Taunton Titans, um, but when I was with England, I pretty much organised the, 
know, and, and ran the line out there. So it was always something that I guess I had an interest in without even thinking I had an interest in it. I did qualica- qualifications early days and then and when I was leaving England, I knew I wanted something different and I had a choice of a Super Rugby team in New Zealand or Super Rugby team in Australia. I'd been to Melbourne once before and absolutely loved yeah, right. I thought it was a great place and I thought, look, um, we were pretty settled in Exeter, if I'm honest. I probably thought when we moved there, that would be us, set for life. Had this sort of urge to maybe uh, experience something abroad for the last time before I hung up the boots. I was clinging on with my fingernails, trying <laughs> still. And I knew that, the, that my wife and family would really enjoy Melbourne, which they have done. It's, yeah. Which they really have done, so... Yeah, I arrived here and played, and then um, Dave Vessels at the time just said there would be something for me at the end of the year, and then I've, um, I've stuck on. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's something I guess I've always known. It's what I'm, what I might want to do, but more probably because I don't know what if there's anything else I would want to do. <laughs> you, you, you're not, uh, you're not eyeing off a, a a career in high finance or something like that. No, that's not for me, mate. <laughs> yeah. did, did you did you always have coaching in mind? when you signed on for the Rebels? Was that part of your conversations when you first moved the family down here? It was never my conversations at all, but I definitely yeah, had right. something in mind. I always thought um, at the time, Australia wasn't renowned for its set-piece work. Yeah. And I, I thought that's something I was known for, so maybe there might be an opportunity further down the line. So that was always in the back of my mind, but it certainly wasn't the main reason we came here. We came here to... Um, I thought experiencing Super Rugby would be pretty cool, completely yep. different competition, and let's take my family on an adventure before I retire, basically. Yeah, right. Who'd have, who'd have thought the quality of the coffee in Melbourne would... No, I'm not a coffee drinker. You're we're not a coffee only, drinker? We're probably the only family that doesn't have any coffee in the house. We just drink tea. Wow. Wow. You might be the only player at the Rebels organisation that don't, doesn't drink yeah, coffee. There's not, sounds there's of not it. many. <laughs> where where are the rebels at currently, and and where do you see Super Rugby as a competition and as a product compared to what we're seeing in the Premiership in the European competitions um, now? And we've just seen a, a fantastic Champions Cup final over the weekend. Um, look, I certainly think the uh, the product in in Europe is flourishing more than Super Rugby, if I'm honest. Uh, yep. I've got to be honest there, if you look at the crowds in those finals and um, probably the uh, commercial opportunities for players in, in the UK and the other opportunities for people involved in rugby, it's definitely a, uh, they're definitely bigger over there. Mm. I think Super Rugby's working hard in this new format with North African teams and introducing the Drua and Moana to appeal to um, other people and a uh, different islands and bring some more excitement into Super Rugby is important. I certainly think there's some things still to work out. I think there's too many stoppages in the game and we've got yeah. to somehow try and quicken that up. That, that's rugby in general. Yeah. But I feel for Super Rugby to really push it. Um, less less law variations, law changes, make the product a little bit simpler for people that are watching. Yeah. Try and get a bit more glam, possibly. I think that's something I've noticed since coming over here compared to rugby league in England, which isn't glamour at all, as you'll appreciate, the, the NRL here is <laughs> yeah. up and, and, and done very, very well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think there's a single answer. I think people, lots of people are, are working hard um, to try and find a solution and push the game. I certainly think um, the last couple of years since Stan Sport have come on board, I think they're doing a really good job of yeah. um, 
producing the product in a, in a different way. Uh, and that's good, but there's still, I think everyone knows there's still a way to go. Yeah. It's, I mean, certainly thinking about what we see on the field. Yeah. And even if, even just looking at something like the breakdown, it looks, it still looks like it's too messy and too slow in Super Rugby compared to what we're seeing. Like the Premiership speed of play now, nowadays, this season particularly, has been absolutely incredible. Um, and that's pointing to, you know, it's, it's almost like the breakdown's been refereed differently in the North, which is an interesting little situation compared to where we've been in the past. Yeah, we found that the referee interpretation is definitely different in the two hemispheres. Mm. Even um, having a New Zealand ref to an Australian ref, it's, yeah. it's very different. If you look at our first lineup from the game of the weekend, um, ball was in, played away, great tempo, getting on with the game, and actually it got slowed down and had to um, had to reset it, which I don't think actually I, I didn't see the outcome, what the out- outcome they're trying to get from reset that. So, yeah, let's quicken the game, game up. Try and get a good product for for everyone to watch. Yeah, yeah, it gets, it's, 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 it seems like uh, I mean, we we all love rugby. We love the intricacies. It's you know, it's actually what we actually like. To be fair, to be honest, but you you take someone who hasn't seen the game and you try to watch a game with them. There's far too many times where they're completely mystified. And when you try to explain to them, even you are, you're like, well, yeah. I can't explain that. The breakdown is a very strange animal. You've got two seconds here, three seconds there, golden moment. You know, it's like a very, I think, uh, as you say, Jeff, there has to be a way to make it more marketable for the person who didn't watch it before. Agree. Got to just got to make it a bit simpler. For me, it's got to become yeah. a, a little bit simpler. And so, I'm uh, a purist. I'm, I'm an actual, I'm a yeah. proper ruby purist. Yeah, yeah. No, so... So I'm saying yeah, that. So, uh, I know you you went to as at the Durham school. Is that where you went to school? Um, coming up. Yeah, I can't I can't do my first school of discredit. I went to Ian Ramsey um, school in Stockton until I was 16, which gets forgotten about. And then I went to Durham school from <laughs> 17 to 18. So yeah, it's 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 quite nice for you. You actually listed as some of the one of the you know um, most important uh, former old boys along with like military generals and members of parliament. There you oh, are. Right. Yeah, I listed more as a coach than a player, I must say that. <laughs> not, not, happy with, not happy with what I did as a player. <laughs> what does it say? Jeff Parling, Melbourne Rebels forwards coach. <laughs> <laughs> premier, premier line-out thinker. No, uh, so, yeah, so we, we spoke a little bit before the part and I was, I was kind of throwing around some ideas. As a coach, I mean, you don't have, you, you cannot come on the field and actually change things as much as you can in some sports, but you do have, obviously have the ability to to say we're going to play more off nine, more off ten. Uh, we had Will Guinea on, and he was talking about when the Reds won, they really played off nine almost exclusively, and then they would have a call for ten. Um, and so there's there's one area. Another one is the composition of the Lucies, and I think this is something up your alley, where you have you know some teams the Saracens have a certain kind of loose trio. The French right now have a different loose trio. They're all line-out practitioners. Uh, and then you have maybe Australia sometimes putting two fetchers on the field. What are your thoughts on where that's going? What do you think works? Do you have to just pick the players and then fit the game plan or do you go the other way around? Yeah, I think what what are your players? What are their strengths? And then what's the game plan? So why did the Reds play majority off nine? Because... Will Genny at the time is one of the best attacking nines in the world. Mm. A bounce not picking holes. So if you don't use that strength, what's the point in having Will Genny? If you look at Leicester, I've obviously been flying in the UK 
this past season, they play nearly everything through George Ford. Nearly like, yeah. everything. He kicks the most. He play all the attacking shapes of George Ford because he's a great attacking player, great game manager. Um, you speak, speak about Lucy's. Well, if you look, if you've got two great fetchers, two of the world's best fetchers, why not play them? I, I, I know I appreciate you need balance in your squad. Of course you do. Um, you don't want 15 individuals on a team. You, you, need, you need a team. So there has got to be balance. But for example, in the when Australia used to have Hooper and Pocock in the back rows, I remember playing them in that 15 World Cup. Geez, that's two outstanding players over yeah. the ball. I think Pocock was averaging four turnovers per game at the time, which in the international mm. game is just ridiculous. Then you might look at some traditional uh, South African teams that might have just some bigger back rows, big bruisers. Well, that's what works for them. That works for their game plan. So I don't think there's a, a one-size-fits-all. Uh, I really don't. I think in general, you see ebbs and flows in the game and you see um, return of the fetches for a few years. I feel this season we've seen a return of the mall around the yeah. world in, in a big way. So you do see sort of ebbs and flows and how things are refereed and interpretations of breakdown. Of course you do, but play to your strengths, play to what, what you've got. Yeah, it looks like in the Petri dish of the Six Nations, which is sometimes the best one to look at sometimes because it's it's so compact and the same teams playing each other at the very high level, very smart coaches. You had two very distinct styles. I mean, you had the French doing it and you had the Irish doing it. And they were literally doing it oppositely. And yet they were uh, a level above everyone else. You know, the Irish were actually doing um, pass out the back, forwards running, two ball in two hands. You couldn't even tell where they were going next. And their French were actually biding their time, making you squeeze, and then feeding off your errors. Um, looking at the World Cup, I know that all all teams copy each other. You have to. Where do you think? Where do you think uh, the Wallabies, for example? Where where do you think may, it makes sense for them with the players they have, as you say? Well, look, if you look at those two teams to start with, just the French and the, the Irish. The French have this massive pack with some outstanding skill and speed in behind. So. Mm-hmm. You know, their game, they keep it pretty simple. They've got this massive pack at set piece. And they're still so young. Oh, so young. It's incredible. They had that um, group of under-20s, didn't they, that? Yeah, they Uh, played against the junior Wallabies in the final, yeah. Yeah, did did, did very well. And actually, um, that French team, that French French team that came to Australia, was it last... Last year, yeah. This time last year? Yep. I know at the time everyone was saying they were a third-choice French team, and yeah, they had some of the main players missing. But if you look at a lot of their players, like Cameron Wocky and other guys, yeah. they've actually come through into that team and developed well. Yeah, yeah. So, so some good guys. If you look at the the Irish Irish team, and um, the Irish are never blessed with these big power players in general. You know, like other teams might have uh, players of Pacific Islander heritage that are natural power athletes. They they don't have them. So in general, I'm I'm very impressed with their ball movement and skill and doing the simple things well, their rook speed, the way they forwards, just simple catch, pass, pull it back, very good play to the strengths. I think the things for the Wallabies going into the World Cup is, first of all, which players will they have? So you put a Samuel Karevi in that back line, and for me that becomes a very different back line. You know, he's a guy you can just give the ball to and he gives you go forward and you can play off him. Is it going to be quite no, in the back line? You, yeah, you'd almost want to say, I, I want Karevi to touch the ball a certain number of times. Like, we have to get him 15 runs up the middle. 
yeah. and it changes the complexion of everything else. Yeah. Uh, so isn't high possession, because of the demands of cleaning, is that high possession Irish thing, is that going to work in a knockout though? And has it worked ever? And will it work in this World Cup? To, to be able to have your guys get there for 80 minutes, you know, coming in low and hard and legal. Yeah, I think, you, I don't know, if you look at the stats, I would imagine they'd say that most World Cups are won um, by defensive teams are pretty low scoring finals, aren't they? Is that right, in general? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, so in general, if you look at those stats, you could say maybe not. <laughs> but but every team likes to prove that it's wrong. Look at Harlequins last year, the English Premiership. They're yeah. com- you know completely different to other teams. They play from everywhere, just keep the ball, um, throw it around, and it worked for them. True. So for fine job, so Jeff, you, I guess. Yeah, Jeff, you've been your identity has always been of a line out maestro guru. Uh, and you came in and fixed the Rebels line out. I think Matt Phillip has actually you know never called the line out. Now he's very good at it. How, struggling line out. Uh, we see this in games sometimes where they just cannot. I mean, Moana Pacifica struggles with a line out. How do you fix a struggling line out? What's the quickest way? What's the, the surest way to fix it? Again, that sounds, I know I keep saying it, but who do you have? What are your strengths? Do you have a couple of tall timbers? Do you have jumping threats throughout the back row? I know when you asked uh, this question, you said in general, do you go to shorter numbers? And a, a lot of guys will, especially at lower levels. Um, for me, but if, if I'm playing a team that has a two non-jumpers in the back row and I can go with a seven-man line out and actually there's space around these non-jumpers, well, I see that as an advantage. Let's use that. So it depends on, on who I'm playing, mate. If I'm playing, um, if you think of New Zealand traditionally back in the day when it was Whitelock, Reed, and Retallick, that's a very good five-man line-out, five-man mirror defence, one of the best in the world. So let's right. probably try and stay away from five-man, let's use the shape. So you've got to have an idea on, on your strengths and on the opposition strengths as well. On the on the mall, one more question on lineouts. You know, it's such a devastating weapon when you when it gets rolling and you cannot stop it. Um, but a critical decision is do you put someone in the air to try and steal it because a line-out steal is one of the biggest turnaround plays in rugby. I mean, it literally can change the game mm-hmm. in one moment. Um, so that decision on whether to go up in the air when you're 10 meters out defending a mall versus you know stay down and form your basically your defensive structure. Is that something from coaches? Do the players make that decision? And, and, and what is the best way to, to stop these malls? I think everyone's got to be aligned so you've got clarity because then if you've got clarity, you can execute with, with real aggression. If you look at um, a lot of the teams traditionally in the last probably three seasons have tried to copy the Crusaders' Maldi. Yeah. It's been a, the best Maldi for a number of seasons now. I don't think they will have conceded a mall try in probably around 70 games. Which is, incre- which is incredible. It's, it's, like it's, it's, incredible. it's incredible. It's it's almost ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so do they do they put Sam up in the air? Or, or no, they they look at them. They very occasionally compete, but they normally just stay down very low. Everyone in the same holes, mm. and it hit hard. But other teams have tried to copy that and not been as successful. Mm. So they've just managed to create this 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 aura. I guess I know you said it's interesting what guys compete and it can be dangerous. That happened in the Lions tour. If you look at that Lions first test, South Africa double podded, um, and both Did went too. up. And the, the Lions got and scored. If you actually freeze frame it as the Lions go over the line, South Africa have seven forwards with uh, um, facing their own line that aren't involved in the mall defence because they've just been 
they've gone up and they're completely out of the game. So yeah. that's the danger. It was it was the only way they could score. Yeah. <laughs> it it must be um it, it must be really pleasing for you, Jeff, from a rebel's point of view to see someone um like your lung your lung your young lock who's Canon, who's uh, who's really come on well this year. Yeah, look, he's um really pleasing for me. Look, if I'm honest, ideally he probably wouldn't have had as much game time as he's had this year. I'd yeah. like to uh, it's out of necessity, I'm sure. Yeah, I would have liked to have gradually um gradually expose him. You know, instead of throwing him in a bit more. So I probably expected him to make his debut off the bench this year. I said that at the start of the year to the other coaches. Mm. Um, probably at six, I said at the start of the yeah. year, which didn't happen. But look, he's a he's a good kid. He um, works hard, he's his own character. He's we, he's um, developed a bit more physically this year, which he probably needed for the for the needs of Super Rugby. And I, I just want all these young kids to uh, keep being themselves, keep being themselves, but just learning gradually, what's, what do I need to do to play at this level now? What do I do? Yeah. I just want them to learn from the mistakes. You know, there's been a few times in games he's made some errors, but as everyone has, as long as he learns and pushes on, then yeah, he'll be a good prospect for the future. And, and, it's, and it's a bit like spreading the gospel, isn't it? He's, he's another one of these um, Melbourne-born and bred kids to, to come through to, to debut for the Rebels. I'm not sure what the count is now, but it, it must be... Must be a dozen or fifteen or so now that have come through over the course of the ten years. Is it, does it feel like you are spreading the gospel down there? Yeah, it's certainly a good feeling when we do it. This him, um, yeah. Daniel Mayava, another one this year. We young kid who made his debut. Look, Josh. Um, yeah, Josh's dad actually played for Northampton Saints. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Day, so, but certainly, though, no, when you get these young kids coming through and there's a pathway now, that that's certainly something for everybody involved at the club, um, it's, it's certainly a good feeling for us. Rugby on the Raw. We can't let you go without looking ahead to the, to the quarterfinals this weekend. Do you think that they go pretty well with the seeds or do you sense that one of the, you know, five to eight teams is, is right for an upset this weekend? How do you see them playing out? Look, I definitely think... Um, the Crusaders and Blues will will win. I don't expect them to to take it home. I don't expect the the Brumbies after that shock last week. They're back at home um, to get across, and you know they've done well in in finals footy in the past. Yeah. My one shock, I'm possibly thinking about. I did get shot down when I mentioned it today. He was at the could the Tars um, go to the yeah. Chief and show a, bit, a good bit of resolve there and and get stuck in. I think that's for me. That's going to be. Um, the most interesting game. Yeah. So the, so the Brumbies or the Waratahs the best Australian chance, do you think? Uh, I think so at the moment for me, yeah. Yeah. And who's the overall favourites? Well, it's got to be the the Blues and Crusaders have got to be the two overall favourites, haven't they? Yeah. What we've seen. I'd say the Crusaders have got that experience and, and have proven it before and the Blues have got an um, exceptional squad at the moment that are playing very well. Yeah, what are they up to now? Thirteen straight wins. It's it's incredible to think yeah. where they were even this time. Well, well I mean they won Trans Tasman last year, but you know. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the Waratahs being almost too happy. You know, like their <laughs> season was so much better than it should have been. It's almost like okay, now we did it. Whereas I think the Chiefs have a little bit of a a weird edge to them, and they played with so many injuries and problems that kind of get under the radar, and and so. I was looking at the possible upset being, uh, sorry, uh, Brett, but I, th- I thought the, the Brumbies against the Hurricanes, Hurricanes are a strange team. Uh, yeah, they are. It's, it's, hard, yeah. it's hard to plan for them. And 
they're up and down, but I just think you have some players on there that are difficult to stop. So this could be tricky. And I, I do think um, for, I think, for example, like Jeff says, the Reds, they're not ready for this and the Crusaders will turn it on at playoff time. Mm. I saw a, a read an interesting thought over the weekend that says the, the Chiefs potentially having to go to Christchurch for a semi-final now will excite them a hell of a lot more than it would excite the Crusaders, given given the way those two teams played out earlier this year. Jeff, you, you think you think there's something in that? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Look, I agree with what you're saying about the the Tars have obviously had a, a good season, but I would say as well um, their drive from last season, which was a very poor season, you know that that hurt. Will spur a few people on as well, and having someone yeah. like Michael Hooper back in the mix, um, who's the ultimate mm. professional, um, he, he certainly will not be taking things too easy or be too happy about the situation. Yeah, yeah, and I think they've just got a really good mix of experienced guys now. Uh, you know, someone like Jamie Roberts coming in, even if he's playing every third game off the bench, the the experience that he brings into a young squad is is just enormous. Um, so yeah, it could be could be really something. Could really be something. Jeff, Jeff, so, Jeff, uh, you know, you you were kind of a player that was always going to the coaching box, but um, we have a, a mythical Roar rugby pod team, <laughs> and you are literally have taken the four jersey away from Nick Bishop, uh, your friend in Wales, and he has been. I can't do that. To the no, coaching box. No, he, he, he wants. No, he, he's ready. He said he's, he's he's tired, and he he wants to be in the coaching. He wants to be an analyst. So you are actually a starting four now, and he's an analyst. Okay, right, thanks. I really appreciate that, guys. <laughs> well, on that note, Jeff, we'll we'll just we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Thanks so much for joining us. We, re- we really we really appreciate your time after um uh, after a long season. I imagine now the the priority is just to take a bit of time and get away from the rugby and spend some time with the family. Uh, not yet. Yeah, we need to review properly. We still need to learn for, yep. for, from the season. That that's going to be really important. And we can't shy away from the fact that, you know, it's been disappointing. So we need yeah. to, you know, get into that first. And then you know, a bit of family want to pop back to the UK for a, for a week to see some people there and then back into over here. Yeah, great. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Been great to talk to you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Brilliant. Take care. The Roar. Righto, Harry. Um, great chat. Uh, great chat there, as, as it is every week. We've just been blessed with our, our guests over the course of the 18 episodes so far, and, um, and we've not been let, again, let down again on this one. Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals this weekend. This is going to be an interesting, interesting weekend of rugby, isn't it? Kicks off Friday night with the return bout. Well, not even the return bout. It's part two of the Crusaders and Queensland Reds in Christchurch. And then on Saturday, it's three games, the, the Chiefs and Waratahs, uh, followed by the Blues and the Highlanders uh, in Auckland. The Chiefs and Waratahs are in Hamilton. And then the Brumbies and Hurricanes in Canberra to, to wrap it all out. How do you, we've sort of touched on this already there with Jeff Parling, but what are you? what's sticking out to you there? Yeah, I think um, people have been resting players here and there. Now you have the real pointy end. I think you'll see the mm. real quality come out. Uh, I wrote an article, which is still pending, Tony Bowles may not even publish it, but I compared all the teams to various characters in the Wizard of Oz because you and I, that's, that's our origin story. But, uh, you know, the Crusaders, the, the Wicked Witch of the South, they yes. are really going to be tough. They just always are. And then you have yeah. people like the, the Chiefs who I think very undercovered story, how many players they didn't have during the season. Yeah. And they look like they're coming on. And then, you you know, you have this blue story of, 
you know, how many they can win in a row. Um, I, I suppose, yeah, you know, from the Australian point of view, the Brumbies have to come right. And I think yes, you're right. You said, you said the other week they're learning a lot from these losses, and I'm sure that's true. But at some point, it affects your confidence. But on that, and this, yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad you went there because I, I've certainly said over the weekend, just gone that as much as they would have taken out of the Crusaders' loss and the Blues' loss, and they would have gone, okay, we've actually played some pretty good rugby in two close losses against the top two teams in the competition. You know, it's not all bad. The worry now is that that loss on the weekend to Moana Pacifica undoes that good work from the previous two. That's that's my concern there. And so how they yeah, because, start, yeah. particularly against the Hurricanes, will be will be crucial on Saturday night. That, it's exactly right. And it's another clash of styles. So yeah. I think what you have with the Brumbies is a team that's always done well because it knows who it is. The yeah. Brumbies know exactly who they are. They come to the park and from minute one, you say sometimes they have lapses in the middle of the game, but they start really well. They yes, don't they do. Catch for, they, don't, they don't catch up. And I think the Moana game was a strange example of where someone out physicals you when you're a physical team. I yep. mean, I just think Laurie Fisher was not making up something when he said we were losing the collisions. Yes. And that's a very strange position to be in, like, as a box supporter. When we lose collisions and we lose the game line and we're, and we're getting bullied, it's very difficult for us to do anything. Just, yeah. Like, where do you go? Yeah. yeah. So I think it, the Brumbies have to find that edge again. It, it felt to me like, even into the last five minutes, it still felt like they were actually controlling the game, controlling the tempo of the game where it was being played really well. It still felt like they had that in hand, but the more it went on and the more mistakes they'd made, I think the panic sort of fed the panic, if you meant, if, if you, and the scoreboard pressure and it all just sort of becomes yeah. intertwined and a downward spiral. And the more they dropped the ball, the more they then dropped another one and, it yeah, it's, just it's, just it's got away from too. When, yeah. When you are the when you're the beneficiary of a card, sometimes it's a yeah. really tough thing to put the you know put the knife in. Yeah, and that's where they had to they had to do it when uh, Sukopa Kipu, our friend from the, on the pod, yeah. was uh, cruel cruelly given a card. I mean, it was just, but it was cruel because it was 150th. And I thought that's where the Brumbies, and when they're bloody-minded, the Brumbies would have scored two tries. Yeah. Look, I, I had a moment when they, they ran out, and I thought, oh, this is nice. It's the, it's the first big milestone game for the podcast. You know, friend of the podcast. We're all part of the family now. So we get to share this with Sukopi. And then, so what sad. was it, 10 minutes later, we also got our first red card. <laughs> uh, so sad. But Henry, Henry to make flowers. He was great. Henry to make flowers was yeah. a beast. Yeah. Was, uh, collisions, yeah. and he was winning every collision. So, yeah, I think the Brumbies will pull through. But I think, like, you're right. They have to rediscover this kind of simple, clear approach and yeah. just do it. Yeah. Chase Waratahs fascinates me as a contest. That's that's third against sixth. Uh, the Brumbies Hurricanes is, is fourth against fifth. Um, but the Chiefs Waratahs, um, I don't I don't think, I think the Waratahs will feel like they can play with freedom. I, I think they'll go into this final series thinking that we've got nothing to lose here. We've, we've, we don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore because we've been doing that for the last 15 weeks. It's almost yeah, like it's, it's bonus time now. I think, and I think that's my what, the reason why I think they'll lose uh, yeah. maybe convincingly is because they're so happy. That we, they're not hungry enough. They're not mad yeah. enough because they literally exceeded expectations by six six wins, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, most people were picking them to win two or three, and but it, so the Chiefs, I think, have another gear. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so for me, the for me, the the other thing is this big drama is you know 
you are someone who's always been blue skeptic. Um, you know, can the blue, will the blues implode? And I think this is a really good test for Liam McDonald and his team is, yeah. can now, can you actually follow through with all this yeah. talent? You know, is it really going to happen for you? This this is a great playoff. If there was a, if there was a, not a criticism, if there was an asterisk on their Trans-Tasman title last year, it was they didn't have to beat the Crusaders to do it. And so, right. you know, if they can win Super Rugby Pacific, being the Crusaders in a final, then bloody hell, they would have earned that. Um, some judiciary news from round 15, mate, um, from the Crusaders. In fact, Pablo Matera, uh, former Argentinian captain, escaped further sanction um, after that tip tackle of his on Jordan Pattaya on Friday night. The siding commissioner agreed with Ben O'Keefe's on-ground assessment that it didn't meet the red card threshold. I, I'm not, I, I can't argue the point because it did land on the shoulder and that's, that's the first point of downgrade from the red card. And if the siding commissioner sees it exactly the same way, which he would have, or they would have, you can't really sort of argue that point, but the discussion is going to go uh, on. Isn't it? Okay. So it didn't look great. Of, this is cow shit. Okay. So here, here's why we, we always had a dangerous play problem mm. and in, a, in the threshold is a, is a means to an end it's a way to navigate through tricky decisions there is nothing not dangerous about picking up someone by no. the ball sack tossing them like a bale of hay yeah. uh, upside down and then yeah. the fact that he missed his head or went shoulder head instantaneously this is to me is silly and i think they just got this wrong and i yeah. they showed themselves to be too married to the What's the framework? To the framework, yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of a lot of people on the online and uh, certainly on the raw, certainly on the socials as well, making that very uh, that very point that landing shoulder first by half a second shouldn't shouldn't mitigate what was still head and shoulder contact, where's head and neck contact with the ground. So yeah, to me, the mitigation comes in better where you, you did something the rugby play, you got it quite you know a little bit wrong. You're doing yeah. a normal tackle and someone lands strangely. This yeah. is where. From the beginning, the act to me was dirty. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've been pretty consistent on that on our chat group over the weekend, I must say. Uh, Brumby's <laughs> flanker Rob Balatini is said to be a chance of returning for their quarterfinal against the Hurricanes on Saturday night in Canberra. The original plan for him was a semi-final, so if they get him a week early, that's that's a big boost big, big, for them. Big, big. Um, I mentioned to you last week that Adam Coleman, the former Wallabies lock, is considering switching his allegiance to Tonga. Tonga named their squad for the for the upcoming internationals uh, late last week and included Charles Piatau, Malachi Fekitoa, and Israel Folau. So there's that um, there's there's that that new framework for eligibility working that way. Christian Leliofano is said to be considering just switching his allegiance to Samoa as well, which is mm-hmm. which would be mm-hmm. fantastic for them. The Australian men's sevens team took out the London sevens final on Monday morning, Australian time, beat New Zealand 1914 in Golden Point extra time. It's their first win over New Zealand in a cup final since the Brisbane sevens in 2002. It's their first victory over them anywhere in more than four years. And now Australia find themselves in a three-way race with South Africa and Argentina to claim the uh, the seven world, Sevens World Series going into the last leg in LA in uh, in August. That's It's fantastic. And it'd be great if the Aussie men can do it after the, the women cleaned up uh, there a few weeks ago. 
Good on them. Good on them. Yeah, that's great. Good that's, on a, them. that's an excellent thing for rugby in general for us. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Panasonic beat Suntory uh, in the Japanese League One final on the weekend. They won 18 uh, 14. Uh, gives Robbie Deans a fifth title in Japan to go with five or six with the Crusaders as well. So he just wins for fun now. La Rochelle won the Champions Cup final in Marseille, beating Leinster 24-21. It's Ronan O'Gara's first European title as a coach after he won two with Munster. But the scenes, the absolute scenes in La Rochelle since the win has just been incredible. This is a city of 75 or 77,000 people. There was about 20,000 of their fans at Marseille. But then 35,000 people turned up to the waterfront for the victory parade. It's incredible. The pictures are just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. French are passionate about their rugby club rugby. And Rog is a genius. So the Irish, you know, an Irishman beat the Irish. So his dismantling of Leinster is ominous for uh, Ireland's World Cup victory because what he did is he dismantled the way they did it. Yes. Look at Leinster's stats throughout both competitions they're in. They were first in every single thing, carries, meters, yeah. average ruck speed, ruck success, efficiency, red zone. The big problem was they're like third or fourth in every one of those always on collision success. So yeah. Raj just made it where there was a guy behind Johnny Sexton. There was a guy in the lane. They couldn't do out the back. The loop was not going anywhere. Um, and they brought like so many people to every breakdown yeah. that it just mucked it up. And I think it's brilliant. So you have, you know, the sort of Irish French, again, it's Irish French. Yeah. Uh, Ogara was actually playing like the French way, which is funny. Yeah. To his to be, to, be, to be his countryman. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it is, it's finals time, obviously. The um, you know, Super Rugby finals, as we know, Major League Rugby goes into the semi finals next weekend. I think the Premiership and Pro and the top 14 in France go the same weekend, but it's URC quarterfinals this weekend as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So big, some big things happening in Cape Town for, for the first time in a long time. Um, Scottish, the Scottish teams are still kind of involved. Welsh teams have really faded. Mm. Uh, and then you have, you know, these heavyweights in Ireland. So it's going to be a nice clash to see. Uh, again, Leinster just played a really big match, so they're going to have to rely on their depth. But yeah. they do have it, yeah. Yeah, they, they certainly will do that. The quarterfinals of the uh, the URC, though, it's it's Ulster against Munster. That's 30 and 6th. Then it's the Bulls and Sharks um, in Pretoria. That's 4th and 5th. Leinster playing Glasgow on Sunday uh, is 1st and 8th. And then the Stormers in Edinburgh, as you say, is 2nd um, is and 7th. That'll be... That'll be that, oh, yeah. that's it. Are, they playing, are they playing at Newlands or are they playing at, at um, no, the, the, the other stadium? Cape Town Stadium. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, friend of the pod, Franz Malherbe, scrumming against um, Pierre Schumann, and you have uh, Peter Kitsoff, uh, Stephen Kitsoff scrumming against WP Nell. So you have basically two South African front rows scrumming yeah, right. against each other in Cape Town. It's going to be brilliant. That will be. That'll be great. Um, now, I mentioned, and we mentioned last week, and again, I mentioned at the top that, you know, if you leave us a review, then we'll make mention. And I've got a, I've got a great review to read from, from Ivan in Australia, and it's a, it's a long one, but stay with it because it's, uh, it, is, it is an absolute ripper. Uh, another five-star review, which, which we thank you very much for, Ivan. And he simply titles it, One of the Best Rugby Podcasts. He says, there are a lot of good rugby podcasts around. Not only that this one is in the top of that category, but also it's a unique one as well. Each episode consists of a special guest and a short analysis of Super Rugby in the URC. 
the range of guests extends to past the present greats, uh, renowned international referees that I didn't think was great, but he's changed my mind, um, commentators, legal representatives, distinguished Australian journalists. Um, I've paraphrased there a little bit, but he said, another unique aspect of this podcast is the Australian South African flavour, something quite unusual since the COVID-induced Super Rugby divorce of 2020. Each episode <laughs> is its own entity. So if you're new to the podcast, it's worth listening to all the, all the early episodes. Still a great listen. Brett and Harry are able to present a great mix of well-natured humour, rugby knowledge, and interesting yarns about Harry's travails and how big the raw travel budget really is. Uh, give it a crack, Ivan says. You will be glad. So, thank you so much for that podcast, for that review. It's that's that's just fantastic to hear, isn't it? Ivan Ivanski, that's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. So, Brett and I are going to work. We're going to work on our marriage forever. We're never going to get divorced. <laughs> we're going to process our feelings. We're going to be very uh, sharing and forgiving. Yeah. Yeah, and on that note, that is episode 18 of the Raw Rugby Podcast done. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the socials. You can drop us a line on the Raw when the new episode purge lands and check out another week of Super Rugby Tipping where now we start playing for sheep stations as we move into the final stage. The pod is on all the major platforms, so like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to ensure the new app drops Indian notifications as soon as it goes live. And do leave us a review and we'll make mention of it uh, next week when you do. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast podcast with me Brett McKay and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate the home of all your favorite rugby analysis and opinions thanks for listening we'll be back in your ears next week come play with us <laughs>